It has been a blessing to uh, spend some time fellowshipping with the pastor and his wife and, and uh, Noah today at, at the Mexican restaurant. Uh, we had a good time of fellowship and getting to know him. And uh, Brother Simmons, I, I remember when we were praying for the Lord to send them here, uh, praying for a while for the Lord to send somebody, I believe. And so uh, praise the Lord. He answers prayer and uh, thank God that he uses his servants and he's given gifts to the churches, uh, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. So thank the Lord for that. All right, Luke chapter 22 is where we're turning. Thank you for the hospitality to me and uh, my wife as well. We sure do appreciate it. And uh, always amazed when somebody gives us the opportunity to come and and exercise our ministry. Um, I I pastored and I preached mainly around the mountains uh, where I'm from uh, in North Carolina. And it wasn't until I was... I guess about 28 that the Lord opened doors that we started traveling outside of the mountains, um, really uh, all over uh, the states and uh, about three different countries. And I I learned something in my travels. One of the things I learned is I thought when we talked about people being Southern, that Southerners were uh, all the same, but there is actually a stark difference between Appalachian and Southern. Yeah, we, we were talking about it some today because I saw their blue door. And there's a, there's a lot of things that we have in the mountains that I don't really run into anywhere else. And the blue door, the reason I, I thought of that is because it's in the mountains, we know this, I don't know if y'all do, but a witch cannot go through a blue door. So if, you, if you're having problems with witches, then paint your doors blue. And, uh, you know, of course, if, if your palm itches, somebody's going to give you money. Yeah. If you feel a chill up your spine, that means a rabbit run across your grave. And, uh, well, there, there's also this one. When my wife moved up there with us, um, if you hear a cow moo at night, then it's like impending doom. Someone's going to die. And my house, it's literally a, a double wide in the middle of a cow pasture. <laughs> And so I told my wife about that. She came up, and, you know, the cows are just mooing all night long. And, uh, you know, she probably put more stock in that than any of the rest of us did. Um, oh, probably the worst one. This one is hazardous to your health. Uh, used to, they would think that, well, let me set this up first. Back in the day, before, uh, before septic systems were super popular, um, out in a place called Madison County, it, there's a river that runs through it, French Broad River, and people would straight pipe is what they called it. They'd just run their sewage right to the river, but they were taught that as long as it runs across five rocks, it purifies itself. <laughs> so, you know, all the kids would be out there playing in the streams and rivers and stuff. So uh, some of those are, are just uh, goofy, and then uh, some, of them, some of them could kill you, I guess. <laughs> So anyway, it's good to, good to be out of the mountains some, but there's nowhere else I'd rather live than the mountains of North Carolina, and I appreciate the Lord allowing me to be born and raised there. Luke chapter number 22, verse number 31, the Bible says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both 
into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Let's pray and we'll look at the thought for the evening. Father, help us tonight. Lord, uh, we're here tonight to hear from you, to hear from your word. And Father, I pray that you will open up your word to us this evening, that the word of God would have free course, and that the good seed of the word of God would find good ground to land upon and would bring forth fruit to the glory of God. I pray tonight that you would touch this congregation with your word and We pray, Father, for everlasting changes to be made within our hearts and minds concerning our service to you and what you would have to show us this evening. We ask that you'll help us tonight. We can't do it without you. Without you, we can do nothing. Help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, as we look at uh, Luke chapter 22 and begin in verse number 31, we have a, a very familiar passage of Scripture where the Lord has this interaction with Simon Peter, and the Lord gives him this warning that Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as weed. And so tonight, I, I want to preach about Satan's sieve, or his sifter, and how that he seeks and desires to, to sift those of us who are believers. Let me give you three things tonight, very quickly, and uh, we'll be done. I found out the key to uh, being liked and invited back is short messages. (laughs) Uh, Tonight we see this, number one, that Simon had a desire to serve the Savior. We see that in verse number 33, where when Jesus told Peter that uh, that, uh, he would... uh, deny him or he's getting ready to tell him that he would deny him and he tells him that he's going to be sifted and that Satan has a desire to have Peter. Peter's response was this, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. So we see that Simon has a desire to serve the Savior. Now, that's a a long way past most of modern Christianity today because he just simply wanted to do something. I remember as a young man, uh, being uh, born where I was and raised where I was, there was many other young men who seemed to have a desire to serve the Lord. As a matter of fact, both pews on either side of our church was full of young preachers who said they had committed their lives to serve Jesus Christ through the preaching of His Word. And all these years later, I look back and think about the faces on those pews, and uh, only two or three are still in the ministry today. And today, I would say this, that the degree that we saw young men surrendering their lives to preach in that time uh, is far more minuscule today than it was then. You say, well, I wonder why that is. Why is it that people aren't surrendering to serve God like they once did? I'll tell you where it starts. It starts that there is no desire to do so. They don't want to. And uh, they're not going to do what they don't want to do. They're not going to give their lives to serve Christ if they don't want to. As a matter of fact, when we read the qualifications of a bishop, the Bible says if any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. It starts with a desire, a want to. 
And so tonight in our text, we see that Simon, even though he had some misplaced confidence, there was at least a desire to do something for God. And tonight, if you're going to uh, make a difference for the Lord, you know where it's going to have to start? A desire. You're going to have to have the want to, to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ, or else you're not going to. You're going to spend your life serving self, serving what you can uh, do for, for your own basic needs, for your own comforts, and let life go by and do nothing for Christ. It takes a desire tonight. Jesus told his disciples, he said, if any man will, let him take up his cross and follow me. There has to be a desire. There has to be a willingness to do so. And so again, even though Peter, he had this misplaced confidence that we're going to speak about in just a moment, at least we're starting off with a man who has a desire to do something for Christ. And by the way, when we see Peter's life play out, despite his failures, through the help of the Lord and the Holy Ghost, he was able to overcome his failures because he had the desire to do something for the Lord. You can move past a a lot of failure in your life if you're willing to do something for God. But that's where it's got to start. You know, there's a reason why people don't give to the work of the Lord. You know why? Because they don't want to. (laughs) If they wanted to, they would. There's a reason why Christians don't evangelize. It's because they don't want to. There's a reason that men who feel the call of God to do something more, to preach His Word, don't do that. And it's as simple as this. They just don't want to. It has to start there. You know why this church is not packed to overflowing with believers who are coming together to worship God, to serve Him in unity as a local body of believers? Because they don't want to. It's easier to stay at home on a Sunday morning and watch television than it is to get up, get dressed, and go to church. If you're going to do these things, it takes a desire, it takes a want to. I'll say this, I I got saved December 5th, 1993, and there's been many times that that I've not had a a desire to do what God wanted me to do, and I've had to just get up and go on anyway, but overarchingly, there's a desire that pushes me that says, hey, you know what, you may not feel like doing it today, but uh, you need to get up, you need to get dressed, you need to get to church need to serve God together, need to fellowship with the saints. It starts with a desire. Now here's the issue, though, that we're going to find in our text is this, that Simon, he had this desire to serve Christ, to go with him to prison and to death. I mean, that's a big step. But that was his desire. Lord, I'm going to go with you to prison, to death. I'm not backing down. I'm not turning around. The issue that we have with uh, Peter here is that Peter stood overconfident in his ability that the enemy could not affect him. And it was after this incident, years later, that an overconfident Peter wrote to us to be sober, to be vigilant, for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. 
You think he learned something in Luke 22 when Jesus said, you have an enemy, it's Satan, and he desires to sift you as wheat. In Luke 22, he's saying, no, no, Lord, I'm going with you all the way. If it's death, I'm going with you. It was a much wiser Simon Peter that says, we have an enemy that is out to destroy us. And it was through his... Act of overconfidence, maybe even arrogance, you could say. That eventually Simon Peter fell. So we see, first of all, Simon had the desire to serve the Savior. But number two, we see this in our opening verse, that Satan had a desire to sift Simon. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you, as wheat. Tonight, when we think about sifting something, you know what the intent of sifting is? There's two things that we could say about it. First of all, when you sift something, really regardless of what it is, there has to be some form of, of agitation, and that agitation is to the ends of separation. It is to separate whatever you are working on sifting. If, if it's grain, you're, you're separating the wheat from the chaff. And you would take the grain and, and you, would, you would toss it and let the wind blow the chaff and the grain would fall back down, the heavier particles. But the whole point of it was a separation. And here in the text, that is, that is the warning that Satan wants you. He wants to have you and he wants to sift you as wheat. When we look at that term, have you, we could even say it kind of like this. He wants to possess you. Now, not in the sense of uh, the, the exorcist with heads spinning around and projectile vomiting. Uh, not the Hollywood version of possession. But he wants you to allow him to be in control. He wants to tempt you. It was Charles Spurgeon who said that because we are tempted without ceasing, we should pray without ceasing. And so Satan has this desire to get a hold of Simon Peter and to sift him. And the desire is the same today. Just like God has a will for your life, a plan, a purpose, something that he wants to affect in your life, so does our enemy, the devil. Satan has a plan for your life. And you know what he wants? He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy this church. You say, well, I'm saved, preacher. He can't touch my soul. Well, thank God for that. You can't lose your soul if you're saved. But there's a lot of other things you can lose. Lose your home. Lose your health. Lose your mental stability. All the way to the point of losing your life. I've only preached this message twice before. Maybe three times. Uh, first time I, I preached it, it, it was a, a very strange meeting that I was going to. I had no idea what was happening at the meeting before I got there. Uh, a friend of mine back in North Carolina, we were preaching together up in Tennessee and he had no idea the situation either. And we got there and we preached. And we, we preached actually very similar uh, messages along the same lines. And it was just a heaviness in the church that night. And I remember talking to the pastor about what was going on. What, what, 
was so disconcerting to the people. And he told me, he said, well, I didn't want to tell you this before the message. I didn't want it to affect you. But there was a man in the church, used to be part of the church, used to be faithful, and so everybody knew him. He got out of church, started running around on his wife, then came back, said he got right. And it was just this past week that his daughter saw his work truck behind a gas station. And she went to to see her dad on the way home from school. And he was in his truck with another woman. And that weekend, because of what he experienced there with his family, falling apart again because of what he had done, he took his life. They found him dead in that same work truck. Man, when I, I thought about that, I preached this message that night. And all I could think when the pastor told me that story is that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants homes destroyed. He wants lives destroyed. He wants children destroyed. I know you look at, at those sweet kids and grandkids and you think, oh, they're, they're so precious and they're so sweet that nobody could ever think about wanting to do them harm. I assure you there's a devil out there that wants their soul. He wants them destroyed. Satan's desire is to sift you tonight. Paul wrote to the church at, at Thessalonica. He wrote to them, to be not troubled in word or by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand. The church of Thessalonica, historically speaking, uh, the purpose and intent of the second letter that was written to them was because they had received forgeries and Paul had told them Paul had to tell them that, hey, just because you get a letter that looks like it's from me, don't be troubled, don't be worried. There's a lot in this world that, there, that uh, is there to agitate us. That is there to bring concern, to bring worry, to bring anxiety. That's exactly what the devil wants in your life tonight. He wants your life overrun with worry and concern and fret. He wants you to be so focused on, on the next election that's going to save America. That's the most important election in the history of this country. I mean, I've not, not been alive for a long time, but every election I've lived through so far has been the most important election in the history of this country. But there's people, they're so overwhelmed with how the next election's going to go and who's going to get in. They're so overwhelmed with how the markets are doing and what's my 401k look like and, and what about my IRAs and how are they going to go that they'll spend their life and waste away having done nothing for the cause of Christ because of being worried and overwhelmed and anxious. You know, the Lord doesn't want us to live that type of life. He doesn't want us to live a life of fear. The Bible tells us God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. He says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. And Peter, I would think he was thinking of Psalm 55 when he penned that, cast thy burden upon the Lord and He shall sustain thee. He shall not suffer the righteous to be moved. 
But you know what Satan wants to do tonight? He wants to agitate you. And you know what the whole purpose, the end goal of that in sifting is? It's separation. He wants to separate you from fellowship with your local church. He wants to separate your fellowship in your marriages, in your families. And ultimately, and most importantly to him, he wants to separate you in your relationship from the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you to live a distant, cold Christianity. Sure, he can't take your soul, but you can lose your testimony. You can lose your peace. You can lose your happiness. Satan uses temptation. He uses doubt. He uses fear. He uses tribulation. Anything that he can introduce into your life to drive a wedge between you and your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wants tonight. And it doesn't matter how little or or how big it is. You know, our, our, uh, our mentality concerning the working of Satan many times is this, that really where, where the works of darkness are taking place is in a back alley with a bunch of teenagers with a Ouija board. Now that's pretty wicked. They shouldn't be back there playing a Ouija board. But you know what the Bible tells us about the work of demonic entities in this New Testament age that we live in? It tells us that it's about seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. There's a lot more wickedness that takes place in the average building that calls itself a church than there is in the back alleys with a bunch of kids playing with Ouija boards. Doctrines of devils. And Satan will use that. He'll use whatever he can. I know our perspective of of Satan is witchcraft and and all of the works of darkness and boy, Halloween's coming. We better batten down the hatches because it's about to get real with all that Satanism. But you know what he'll do? He'll, He'll drive a wedge in your heart between you and somebody else in this room, part of this local New Testament church and bring division and bring strife That's what he wants. Separation. He'll bring bitterness in your heart against another brother or sister in Christ. How are you going to worship God in unity when your heart's overrun with bitterness? And many people, if you really got to the root cause of some of these things, a lot of it's just simple misunderstanding. Somebody said a little something and, and, and you didn't know quite how to take it, but you figured they probably said it in a really, really bad way because they don't like you and they looked at you crossways this past Sunday. I don't know if I'm preaching to anybody tonight or not, but uh, that's what the devil wants. There's a church over in a little town uh, north of me. It's called Burnsville, the name of the town. And uh, they had a fight over what color shingles to put on the church. I mean, my goodness, if it keeps the water out, who cares? They had a fight over the shingles. 
So they said, we got a good idea. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give everybody what they want, and half of the church is one color, and half of the church is the other color. And you know what? When everybody drives by that church, you know what they're thinking? That church has no unity. That church is full of discord and dissension, and they can't even make a decision as simple as what color the shingles are going to be. You think Satan will use some things like that in our lives? Satan had a desire to sift Simon, and he has a desire to sift you tonight. And again, the ultimate goal of that is separation, to separate you from the Lord in fellowship, to separate you from the work of the Lord, to allow you to get cold and callous concerning the things of God, to allow you to get complacent about what God would have In your life. The Bible tells us this. Talking about things Satan wants to remove. The scripture tells us there's some things that we should add. And by the way it was Peter. The same one that Christ exhorted and warned. About being sifted. It was an older, much wiser Simon Peter. Who said this. And beside this giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. I know everybody says, don't pray for patience. You know, because tribulation works patience, right? But in the book of James it says, let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so tonight, while, uh, while modern Christianity says, Lord, don't give me tribulation. Uh, I don't need that much patience. I, I'm not going to pray for that. God says you've got to have some patience. If you want to be imperfect and entire, if you want to be a whole and complete Christian tonight, you need some patience. Add patience to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Satan wants to sift out of you? Everything that I just read. He wants to take away the charity in your heart, the brotherly kindness, the godliness, the patience, the temperance, the knowledge all the way down to if he can, he would love for everyone in this church to walk away and become a God denier and turn your back on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wants tonight. That's what he wants to separate out of you. Pastor and I came up a few times between last night and today. Uh, You know, it seems amongst Bible believers, one of the concerns is... um, uh, an imbalance between knowing things, having a knowledge of the things of God, and then presenting those with a spirit of, of compassion and love, speaking the truth in love. I was preaching, uh, we teach at a Bible institute, and I was preaching the graduation one year, and I took my text in Second Peter chapter number 1, and the topic of the message was going beyond knowledge. 
Because here's where people get in their Christian life. They, they've got faith. They've added to their faith virtue. And they've added to their virtue knowledge. And that's as far as they've gotten. The pinnacle of the Christian life isn't just knowing a bunch of things. Now, don't misunderstand me. The pathway to the pinnacle, you have to go through knowledge. Knowledge is a piece of that. But you know what's at the end of the list? Brotherly kindness and charity. Charity edifieth. Knowledge puffeth up. Satan has a desire to sift you tonight and he wants every one of these things taken out of your life. Satan's desire to sift Simon, but let me give you this finally. The Savior's desire to sustain Simon. I'm going to give you this one real quick. Brother Smoker's not here. I'll get another message lined up. We'll preach another one. (laughs) The Savior had the desire to sustain him. It done my heart good when I read verse 31 followed by verse number 32. 31 is desperate. It's bleak. It's discouraging. My goodness, Satan... Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. How fearful that just those words alone are, that Satan wants to take you and destroy you and sift you down to nothing. But verse 32, Jesus says, But I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I'm not going to deal with all of the the dispensational application of this tonight, just the the practical application to you and I. The Lord Jesus had the desire, though, to sustain Simon Peter. It was a very real threat of what Satan wanted in Peter's life. But we find two things that held Peter up. Number one... The Lord's Prayer. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse number 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. You say tonight, preacher, man, that's, uh, that's some rough stuff, what you were talking about, what Satan wants for me. What Satan desires for me and my spouse and my children and my grandchildren and my friends and my church family. That's some pretty bad stuff that you're telling me. Don't be discouraged, Christian. Because the Lord looks at you just like He did Simon Peter and He says, but I have prayed for thee. And right now He sits at the right hand of the Father and He makes intercession for us tonight. He's prayed for us. And He's praying for us right now. But then we see this also in Romans chapter number 8. Not only the Lord's prayer, but we see the Lord's promise. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. The Bible tells us, For whom He did for no, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now when we read that passage, I'm going to go ahead and tell you from the start, John Calvin had no idea what he was talking about 
when it came to predestination. Because predestination in, in the text it has to do with looking forward. Now if we're talking about election, election looks back. Predestination looks forward though. And it's now that I'm a Christian, this is what God has chosen that should come forth from my life. And once you become a believer, God looks at you and He has predestined you that you be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that was, a, that was a tough point about what Satan desires. And in our Christian lives, there's going to be time of failure. There's going to be times of fear. There's going to be times of trouble. But tonight, Christian, I can say to you that God has looked at you as a believer and He's predestined that you should be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and nothing is going to stop that. Because when we see Him, when He shall appear, we shall see Him as He is, and we shall be like Him. And there's nothing going to stop that. I know uh, <clears throat> that I spent some time in Israel. I went over there to, to preach for a brother. He has a, a little church in the uh, town of Ashdod. And while I was there, I spent some days going to the old city and one of my favorite spots in all of, all of Israel was the Mount of Olives. You would go up there to this mountain range and, and you would sit there and you could look out over all the city. And a lot of the pictures that you see from Israel are actually pictures taken from that particular spot where you can see the old, uh, well, old cities down here, but you see um, the, the Dome of the Rock, the big golden building, with big golden dome. That landscape is what you're looking at when you're on top of the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives, there's... Thousands of graves. Those graves are put there for two reasons. The Jews bury their people there because they believe that's where the Messiah is coming back to. And by the way, they're right. That's where he's coming back to. They're going to be shocked when they find out who it is, but that's where he's coming back to. And they bury their people there on that mountain so when Messiah comes back, their people will be closer to Him when He returns. But the Muslims bury their people there because they believe that the Messiah would not defile Himself by walking through a graveyard. And so there's many Muslims that are buried there. And when you stand on that mountain and you look down, there's all these little things. They look like just, just boxes that are all over the mountain. And it's graves, it's bodies that are buried all over the Mount of Olives. And I was sitting up there just looking out over, over the old city and thinking about the Lord's return. Because when you're in Israel, I mean, it, it's, it's a tourist trap. And, uh, you know, just like some of the New England states, it's like George Washington slept on this bench. George Washington was here. He ate at this diner. Uh, you know, George Washington did all these things. When you're in Israel, it's the same thing with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ walked down this path. You know, he ate in this building. You know, as long as you got the money, you can see where, where Jesus was. Nobody really knows, really, honestly, where he exactly was. As a matter of fact, you can go and visit the tomb. And to be honest, I don't even know that they're 100% sure. They have three sites that they consider are possibilities for burial sites for the Lord. 
Now, if the Lord was in one of them, I don't know who was in the other two, but uh, nonetheless, there's that one site that they say that he was in. But I was sitting up there thinking about that, about the Lord coming back, because I don't know where he's been, I do know where he's coming to, and that's why I like that spot on the Mount of Olives. And you know those Muslims, they put all those bodies there, thinking they're going to keep the Messiah out of, out of Israel, out of, out of that little square on top of the hill where the temple's going to sit. And they've done all this stuff. Not only have they put that cemetery there, but you can look out across the, the Kidron Valley where uh, the Brook Kidron is, and it starts to go up the hill, and that, that eastern gate has been all walled off. You can't get in it. They've blocked it up and walled it off because that's where, uh, that's where the Jewish Messiah is supposed to come, and they're going to try their best to stop them. You know what's going to happen one day? He's going to hit Mount Olives with such force that it's going to cause the mountain to cleave in two. He's going to walk down through that valley, through the brook he drawn up the other side, and just like Psalm 24 says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lift up ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty in battle. You know what those gates are going to do? They're going to swing open wide, and the Lord Jesus Christ on his white stallion is going to ride through those gates and take his seat on the throne of David. And they're not going to stop him. You know what I'm telling you tonight? That there's nothing in your life that can be accomplished by your own will or by the will of the devil if you are saved by the grace of God that is going to keep him from fulfilling Romans 8.29 that he has predestined you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's his promise. I could say it like this. The sifter brings agitation and separation, but thankfully, there's a limitation. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, Now I've had to hang my hat on this passage many times in my life. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 13, the Bible says, if we believe not, if we believe not, let me pause right there. What we're saying here is if I got so discouraged and so despondent and depressed with my Christian walk that I said, you know, I don't even know if this whole thing's even real. And I walked outside of this church and I never opened my Bible and I never darkened the door of a church again. And I said, it's all fake. I don't even believe any of it was real. I just, I was thinking crazy for all those years. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. I might be able to deny him, but he can't deny himself. And I, because I'm saved by the grace of God, and in him, am in him. So there's a limitation tonight. There's a limitation. But boy, there's a lot of things that you can lose before you get to that point. Satan desires tonight to sift you as we. But folks, the Lord's prayed for you and he's given you a promise that one day you'll be like him. 
So you know what you need to do? Just hold on. Just hang in there. Just keep your eyes up looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Just keep on serving God. Just get up every day and when you feel like you don't have strength, just ask the Lord, help me walk through another day. Be with me through this day. And then the next day, you know what you got to do? You got to get up and say, Lord, it was a tough day yesterday, but I need your help today. And I need you to walk with me today and take care of me again. You say, well, preacher, what am I going to do if the next day I feel just as bad? You get up and you say, Lord, I need your help today. I need you to walk with me and hold my hand and take care of me and guide me and lead my steps. And he will. He will.